I'm not a, I'm not a Keanu like acolyte. I, I think Keanu's fine. I think he's. I mean, I think. I, I, I mean, I enjoy There's him. There's some people who like actually are like anti. Oh. I actually enjoy his his movies. I mean, I think people who are anti Keanu are like anti fun. You know, they're the people who hate things because other people <laughs> like them uh because there's no there's literally no reason to hate keanu reeves he doesn't do anything that's incredibly offensive it'd be insane to hate him i don't understand that but uh, i'm, I'm yeah. just saying i i, I appreciate i appreciate his uh, his range i mean he, he he plays a lot into nerd culture in, in a way that um i think is endearing um and i and i think that he's can be a serious actor but he also doesn't take himself too seriously because again he he will appear in movies where you're like i i can't believe or like he he was in the um cyberpunk video game i mean he he does stuff you know he's not above <laughs> i mean not, not that being in a video i was gonna say i like his choice i like his choices yeah i would just say he does a lot of things i mean john wick is pretty cool uh i i don't think it's the best you know but i mean it's we saw the first one but i really i, I did like it i i like john wick um uh but i, th- I think constitution is better and i and i think that yeah, I agree. I, I really like that movie. The, the reason people, especially the nerds who hate Constantine, hate his portrayal of Constantine is because they want Constantine to be English and blonde. And you're like, it's this is an interpretation. It's a movie. It was long before the DCs or any cinematic universes existed. And I think that for what it is, as a one-off, I thought it was really good. I thought it was well done. I thought he portrayed the character in a, it's a different way, but I actually enjoyed it better than the, I enjoyed it more than the comics. Um, and I think Rachel Vice is fantastic in it as well. So, uh, I'm, I like I'm a, the guy I'm a that fan. played the devil. I liked um, Gabriel. Yeah, yeah, the guy who played the devil. I, I, I love uh, Papa Midnight. Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh, I thought he was fantastic as Papa. In fact, I wanted a Papa Midnight spinoff because I was like, if Keanu doesn't want to keep doing this, they should just do a Papa Midnight because that he was fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I liked everyone. It was a cool movie. I thought so too. I mean, I and think I it, and I didn't mind Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> you know what? I forgot he was in it. <laughs> I think that was my introduction to him. That's uh, weird. I mean, not weird. I mean, I guess you didn't. You weren't. Uh, you didn't. You didn't watch Disney's Holes. Never heard of it. Uh, all right. Well, holes. H O L E S. Yeah, yeah. There's nowhere to go because if you've never heard of it, there's no jokes to be made, and there's nothing to really talk about. So. Yeah, no, I, I've never seen Disney. Disney holes <laughs> or Nickelodeon. <laughs> what was his show? On Nickelodeon. I don't know. No, it yeah. might have been. Anyway, might have been a little after me. Nope. I, but uh, that's the first time I saw him, and and I remember he stuck out. He had a he had a standout role because his character was unique. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I I enjoyed it, you know, yeah. Um, again, yeah, I just I, I think Shia LaBeouf is actually kind of interesting. He's an interesting actor, and I think that he's done some interesting stuff. I just uh, Constantine doesn't really. It's not like I don't think he. Yeah, I think he was all right in it. I just think that everyone else did a better job. Like I mean, well, they were just given bigger roles. They were given roles that demanded more of them. And um, I think for the role he was given, yeah, he, he probably made did it a good memorable job. right in a way where that's he could have been very forgettable exactly yeah oh and, you know, he and was, ca- yeah he was sorry. parking the car he was like a chauffeur yeah, he was a chauffeur right? he was yeah. like a bag man holding yeah, stuff yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and uh I, I i really like and you know who was also tilda swindon i believe that's her name she was fantastic that's the, the gabriel yeah yeah oh. yeah i mean yeah, she, I she, was she looks like an angel i mean she's so androgynous she's exactly what you'd expect uh, from like the lore of angels to be like i mean she i just thought she was fantastic too. So. No, I like I like I like the movie, but anyway, you're talking about ways to cool down in the in your in your warm workspace and <laughs> the bucket of ice water in your 
that's the yeah, visual I had right before you what enter hell. Oh, because <laughs> yes. Well, no, it's a, oh, a bucket of ice water and a cat, right? Yeah. This, well, this, I don't even know if it was ice water, but it was water. Yeah, a bucket of water. Feet, it's a bucket then, of water. And, and then he and had a cat, a cat yeah, and then yeah. he would transport himself. Well, no, he was a let and then you electrocute, right? And then I think that's how you was did he electrocute himself? No, that's the that you're right. Well, now we're getting to the weeds because I haven't seen the movie for a long, in so long. But when he goes to Papa Midnight into the chair. That that was, but the other the cat is a that's different. No, well, that's the electric chair, but that that's was the electric because chair. of the power yeah. of how many lives yes. it's, stuff like that. It's yeah. transferred over, right? Right. I love that. That, I, but see, I, I love that quote in the movie too. He's like, uh, someone's like, well, I think it's like Rachel Vice. She's like, why a cat? And he's like, half in, half out. <laughs> I, I I do. Yeah, I mean that movie was great. Now I want to go watch it again. I feel like it holds up. I want. It does. It. I mean, I watch it. I would say I watch it probably once every two to three years i'll catch it yeah i'll catch it i'll just feel it'll it'll either be on a streaming platform and i'll be like oh they were constantine i'll just start watching it because it's such a it's good background work um movie because you know i know you know i know like you know i can quote many of the lines and uh uh, yeah so that's special place in my heart and i think it gets a i get i think it gets a really crap rap with um with fans or or uh people who are really critical of the movie. I'm like, well, why are you being so mean? They just tried to do something different. Very entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you got anything you want to cover? Yeah. Yeah. I got um, cool little scene. Well, shoot. Um, yeah. Let's do the CNN story. Um, and then we'll see where, where it goes from there. Um, so, uh, so CNN had, a, had an article. And, uh, and I wanted to queue up the video and I might take some lag time, uh, which we can edit, uh, to find the actual video because I think the video would be really funny. But um, uh, it goes, plans for $400 billion new city in the American desert unveiled. Did you hear about this? I heard about the headline, yes. Yeah. And um, that's about it. Someone made a funny comment. Uh, some dystopian comment it made me laugh I can't remember what it was though okay yeah I'm sure the dystopian uh, memes are all over the place so uh, to summarize or uh, little little excerpts the uh, price 400 million is enough to be honest with you but go ahead yeah me too we'll see 400 billion man 400 billion oh I yeah. thought I read million and that's yeah. why I was that's why I didn't pay any, pay any attention to it because I was like what are they putting up like a building <laughs> um. <laughs> okay so so here's so for the listeners um the former Walmart executive, ooh, that was like a, that was like my East Coast accent there. <laughs> the former Walmart executive last week unveiled plans for Tolosa, a sustainable metropolis that he hopes to create from scratch in the American desert. The ambitious, the ambitious 150,000 acre proposal promises eco-friendly architecture, sustainable energy production, and a purportedly drought-resistant water system. A so-called 15-minute city design will allow residents to access their workplaces, schools, and amenities within a quarter-hour commute of their homes. Although planners are still scouting for locations, possible targets include Nevada, Utah, Idaho, Arizona, Texas, and the Appalachian region, according to the project's official website. I'm starting at $10,000 a month. Yeah, <laughs> so I was just saying, I'm sure Texas has fallen out of the bidding over their recent controversies, uh, but uh, we don't have to get into that. Uh, the announcement was accompanied by a series of digital renderings. The images show residential buildings covered with greenery and imagine residents 
enjoying abundant open space. With fossil fuel powered vehicles banned in the city, autonomous vehicles are pictured traveling down sunlit streets alongside scooters and pedestrians. Another image depicts a proposed skyscraper dubbed Equitism Tower, probably butchered that, which is described as a beacon for the city. The building features elevated water, water storage, aeroponic farms, and energy producing photovoltaic roof that allow it to share and distribute all its pro, pro, uh, all it produces. The first phase of, conduct, of construction... I, I just got to say, I, I can't help it. A yeah, beacon of the city. Isn't I know. This, the city's so in dystopian. the desert. Well, the city's in the desert. Isn't, this, isn't the city a beacon for the desert? Isn't no, the city it has, itself a beacon? has to have its little symbol of hope. It's like uh, it's like Gotham Tower. Or, uh, right. Well, it's just off the Empire State Building. Everything's got to have symbols. Uh, we get into that. We're, I mean, there's so much to just like not rip apart, but just get into. Well, well where is this money coming from? Well, that's why I was deck built. That, that was literally the second... That's, okay. that's what's coming up. The uh, first phase of construction, app, good, good question, which would accommodate 50,000 residents across 1,500 acres comes with an estimated cost of $25 billion. The whole project would be expected to exceed $400 billion, with the city reaching its target population of $5 million within 40 years. A community endowment will meanwhile offer residents shared ownership of the land. In a promotional video, Lore described his proposal as the most open, most fair, and most inclusive city in the world. On Telos's official website, Lore explains that he was inspired by American economist and social theorist Henry George. The investor cites capitalism's significant flaws, attributing many of them to the land ownership model that America was built on. Cities that have been built to date from scratch are more like real estate projects, Laura said in a promotional video for the project. They don't start with people at the center, because if you started with people at the center, you would immediately think, okay, what's the mission and what are the values? The mission of Telosa is to create a more equitable and sustainable future. That's our North Star. All right. So there's a lot to unpack. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to knock it right off the bat because obviously the easy thing would be like, <laughs> "What is this cult? What yeah. is this a cult? <laughs> is this Jonestown? What are they doing?" Um, but so, why? Yeah. How are the people at the center? Why know. is this different from the city? <laughs> I don't know. That's, not, uh, that's why I wanted. Well, that's why I wanted to play the video as well. Um, if you give me a second to see if we can find the video because maybe that can answer some other questions but i don't understand is it land ownership like what what is different well i mean well look i think i think that um i think that in a sense without having to be explicit about it if you're creating an environmentally friendly city you are putting people at the for at the at the center of of that development i think that you know when we talk about climate change it's not just about you know saving the planet it's about being more fair to people and giving them, you know, a better place to live. And I think that being in a sustainable city is, uh, you know, that's going to help out its, its residents, you know, you're gonna have less pollution, right, which is going to cause, uh, you know, that could, that could eliminate a, a number of ailments that could that plague current city owners from breathing in way too much pollution or having uh, smog alerts or whatever pollution alerts, uh, you know, clean water, clean, uh, the, the commute alone, I think is also really I think that's a that's a big boon as well. A 15 minute city. I mean, imagine only having to commute 15 minutes to work. That means you get to spend more time with Why friends. Why is that? How and does family. that happen? Is it the size of the city? Or it's not, well, I mean, I think that there's. I, I'm not sure if you explicitly laid it out in this article, but I I'm assuming that with the autonomous travel, first of all, because if you have autonomous travel, 
uh, without people actually driving by the numbers, by the data that's supposed to uh, alleviate, um, what do you call it? Uh, traffic. <laughs> without people, you Thing don't no have one's traffic. Had in like a year and a half. <laughs> you don't have traffic without people. People cause traffic by driving at different speeds. So robots regulating how fast you're driving uh, should actually alleviate a significant traffic buildup. But I'm also assuming that there's going to be a, a, a sizable commitment to public transportation. Um, and uh, and probably the layout of the city is probably going to be something that is, that is that is architecturally designed around having people get from their residential domiciles uh, into either the downtown or to wherever the specific commercial areas are uh, a bit faster. So I mean, I'm I'm definitely um, I'm I'm speculating quite a bit in terms of this because they don't specifically outline um, much of this in this in this small little tidbit article. But I also think it's it's much it's very early days. Um, but I mean, I'm just going to say from the from the outset, in terms of what they're laying down, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that. That vision, not necessarily, is anything wrong with it. Now, whether anyone wants to trust billionaires to save us, because we've we've talked about this and we talked about the you know there's the various pitfalls about about that kind of uh, that kind of thinking. And 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 if you have this city, uh, you know, it's still subject to the state that it lands in, so it can't be completely autonomous because it's still going to be you know, they're still going to rely well, on funding it, and yeah, the way you phrased like, you know, this is, you know, capitalism has flaws and th that whole bit. Yeah. I was, I'm like, how is this so detached from the country? Right. Um, exactly. Exactly. Or the state. So that's why I'd ask like, what's so more, different? More yeah. important, more, as I'm saying, more importantly, the, it's still going to be governed by the state it lands in. So, I mean, regarding and how taxes and how state property plans exactly. on taking up. Yep. 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 If it's all, federal land, then it's exactly. Not. There's going to be a lot of issues with, with depending on making it, but there's a reason no other people at the center. I mean, yeah, if this person or, or collection of people that are funding all of this own everything. Is everything just for rent? Are you purchasing it? Are they, yeah, are they building it all? And then just kind of giving it away to the people. Everyone that lives in a city has a share. They're all shareholders. Everyone's a shareholder, at least ideally, based on what this is this is uh, discussing here. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing that's really interesting because I mean, if if we can, if I can, like, do a little history here um, about city planning in America, uh, he's drawing from some very real examples, right? So if you were to think about a city like New York, which is the biggest city, well, it's not the most populated, but I think it's the uh, you know, it's one of the iconic cities of America. Let's just call it that. It was originally the planning for New York was essentially someone just took uh, a real estate sales map. So basically like how you do lots uh, and like uh, if you were to draw up lots and say, well, this is this is an auction map for all the properties that are available. They literally took that map and then built the city. So, the, so there was no actual design towards what does it mean to have a city with people in it, which is why the trash in New York is usually you see it on the street. The reason it's on the street is because most cities, especially like, like, uh, like Paris, for instance, they build in little alleyways between each domicile. So even, so even though everything is quite tightly packed in, but they make, they make sure that there's enough room for things like trash that 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 could be sort of out of sight and therefore it creates a bit of a more sanitary environment because new york was built on a on a map of just an auction map there is no such space there's no space so there's no space for trash in new york that's why the trash ends up on the street and it creates this whole this whole like hub of maybe maybe these uh, guys I'm just saying as their, an example maybe these guys can use their 400 billion dollars 
-hmm. to strategically buy property in existing cities to fix issues like that. I mean, there's, you know, there's more red tape. You can't just like, what are you going to do? You can't just buy uh, brownstones in New York, knock one down in order to create, <laughs> you can't just buy them up and then start Why eliminating not? housing. Well, I'm just, I'm saying that's going to come into its own issues. I'm my, my only point on that, well, that story, that little story is like, I think that's, that's the, he seems like he's a person who's a little steeped in America's history. So he's probably recalling back to things like that, which maybe most people aren't thinking about, but you know, from well, that there are people who view. start their own towns. I mean, you have mm-hmm. that very controversial Levittstown planner who would Levittown, right? Levittown, is it Levittown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he, I mean, that's the archetype for all suburbs in America. Yeah, more, more or less. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you different. have people doing stuff like that. Right. But he was so, I mean, that, so if you think about the Levittown guy, right, he's actually, he was, he was a little bit more socialist than people <laughs> i don't want to ascribe it specifically to him but like one of the original plans for suburb suburbs in america was that no one would actually own a yard all yards would be shared so it would just oh that's why so all the houses would face outward and then on the inside you'd have all these yards that would just be one massive like shared patch that people can just like you know frolic in and walk dogs and what have you it wasn't it wasn't until like later when the development of the plan started to come into you know the, the final phases that uh real estate people were like look we're not gonna be able to sell americans on this dream of the suburbs coming out of the cities if they can't own the yard so they they instead they started sectioning off the yards which is why in some suburbs like my suburbs specifically you you have shared fencing and and that's a that's a result of that as opposed to just having most properties are like that unless you have right well most yeah. properties are like that right you and, I mean, and then like only back like back, city right? ordinances would would yeah. drive you to have your own fence for things like pools and everything but right right most people have shared fencing right yeah. i'm just saying but that i mean that that's a result of 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 that thinking so i mean i'm just saying that people in the past have tried to be a little bit more uh, you know, shareable in terms of what people, uh, in terms of more shared space that people can, uh, you know, can sort of, <laughs> you know. I guess share. my thing is, is that I think that this <laughs> is, I, it sounds yeah, good. Yeah. It sounds good in terms of sustainability and things that other cities and really everywhere needs to start adopting immediately based on the past episodes we've done with climate change. But I am not convinced that infrastructure alone makes a people-centered society like there needs to be more to it so i I don't want to say this isn't good step forward but i also want to temper my enthusiasm to say oh wow everything's solar powered life's going to be amazing in this city because it's going to take with it all of the socioeconomic baggage that america has with it so there's going to be opportunity to exploit there's going to be you know elitism and there's going to yeah i I just i'm having a hard time understanding how commute and greenery and uh renewable energy has its place which should just be a standard at this point um but i don't know how it's going to impact people's lives beyond the beyond enjoying a little more outdoor space and breathing in cleaner air, which is so important, but you know what I mean? I, it's like, we're going to, ha- we're going to make sure you have clean drinking water. Wow. Great. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. But you know, I still can't pay for my rent 
or I work three jobs and I don't ever see my family. I think, yeah, I, I don't know mm -hmm. how, you know, it's only, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a piece, a very important piece, but just a piece of the equation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, I think that, you know, I think there's going to be other issues with regard to um, the economic status of the city, for instance, like we, what you're talking about here, where you're saying like the, the, the failings of America in terms of like our, uh, you know, expanding uh, social classes, uh, in terms of like, you know, upward transfers of wealth versus, you know, you know the, the everyman. There is nothing about this city that tells me that there's going to be some sort of equal, equal share of labor where, um, everyone lives in sort of like the exact, you know, it's not, it, he's not saying this is a communist utopia. He's, there's nothing of, there's nothing of a sort in this. So clearly some people are going to be winners and losers, even in this new, this new city. So, I mean, that, that, that is, I don't know how that really shakes out in terms of what, what we're talking about here, but I, I'm also going to say that, you know, if he's, if he's courting uh, a class of worker, the way he talks about this city, it definitely feels like it's a very white class, white collar class of worker. Uh, you know, autonomous cars, for instance. So you're getting rid of people. You know, you get rid of Uber drivers and 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 various free uh, free. I don't know what do you call them. Not they're not really are they freelancers per se. Uh, I think Uber was whatever. Let's not get into that. But you, my point is, you're getting rid of a lot of the you know. Uh, I don't want to call it like lower waged work because it's not really low skilled work. It's like lower waged work. Uh, when you start talking about things like this and I'm like, what else is automated, you know, or is your mail delivered automatically? I mean, is there various other things? I mean, that, that's the, it, it's like you're saying, you know, you, you can't get where you can't get away from certain just constraints of our society. It's like, these things need to be structurally handled from the top, which is like the federal government needs to like start laying in some groundwork, uh, building out a better uh, safety net and what have you in terms of lifting people up building a massive beautiful shining emerald city in the desert not necessarily there's nothing about this that says it's going to really solve a lot of these problems per se right like you know he didn't say that there's going to be facilities for drug addiction and there's going to be uh you know if you if you fall out of your feet you know you could have this free housing low-income like free housing here that you can you can stay in like you know there's none of that is, is being talked about in this city well it's a good point if you lose your high-paying job right. to afford this there's nowhere yeah. for you to go but out Exactly. You're, exactly. You're out. You're out of you're the out. city. You're out. You're out. You're, you're, you're out of the gates. You know exactly. So I would say there's not. What do they call? What What is the name of the outside world in Dread? In Judge Dread? I I no I can't remember at all. Uh -huh. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I know. I know the reference. But I don't. Yeah, know like you, you're yeah. cast out of the Garden of Eden because yeah. you don't make six figures anymore. Right. You don't live in Elysium because I think there's like that yeah. movie. Right. So I mean, it's. Uh, I just say there's so many hard. It's like you're saying there. There are a lot of highfalutin language surrounding this city but there there is very little meat and potatoes going on in terms of like how this actually will be different from the rest of america the only the only thing i can think of is that he's just trying to court wealthy you know white collar workers uh high college educated high you know grad school phd level workers to this city where everything will mostly be automated you know what it sounds like do you want to know what it sounds like yeah sure this is the arc the writings on the oh, wall, climate change, and they're building their arc. Yeah, no, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad uh, uh, analogy. That's pretty good, actually. We're gonna go where the desert is, right? <laughs> where, <laughs> where rising floodwaters will come, will come, and right? Nourish. And they're probably yeah. picking out their location very carefully. Well, I mean, um, that, that's what's also really funny, because we read the climate change report, and basically anything that is 
most of the articles that are being written right now about the change in terms of population structures as a result of climate change have most people moving to cities like Detroit, people moving much further north because of the various ravages of the south uh, being almost uninhabitable. Not, I mean, people will probably still live there, but most people who are trying to find more work, better work and, 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 uh, and sort of live outside of tornado flood and, and what have you zones. Uh, moving up to the north. So it's interesting that he's going to pick the desert because I mean, I just think it's it's very difficult, even so, like even um, when talking about, uh, there's like a theory out there, which is backed up by uh, various like, I think, I think some scientific research, but like, if you were to cover the Sahara Desert with solar panels, you'd essentially create enough, um, uh, enough power to essentially uh, support the, the, the entire planet. That's the idea. But the thing is, there's so many structural uh, hurdles into into actually trying to place that many solar panels across the Sahara Desert that it just becomes infeasible. Whether it's mo- like money and allocation of resources, what have you, it just becomes unattainable. Um, unattainable. So, well, it's interesting re- to see what he could do with the desert out um, wherever he chooses. Because yeah. there's just, there's going to be structural issues as a result of trying to get uh, you know that that kind of stuff out there uh, on its own. So anyway, where where my head was going though was that. Yeah, You know, you always hear a Grand Canyon or some desert was uh, an ocean or a giant river or um, a, a tropical rainforest. And it looks nothing like that now because the climate has shifted and the terrain right. has changed. That's correct. Yeah. And now that we're having this climate change that's thing going through now, anyway. right? I mean, it's it's so many places. Uh, yeah. and, and that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing the climate shifting. And I wonder if they're looking at... Um, past records to see what this land used to be, or if there's some type of forecast model to say, listen, all right, the, the desert's not going to turn into a tropical rainforest overnight, but um, with sea levels rising, rivers breaching, things like that, um, where is the desert most likely to become less arid in this period of time? And would this be a smart real estate grab now? I wonder if that's factoring into anything, or if they or if the thinking is, no, it's a desert and it'll be a desert and we're going to live in a desert. Mm. I mean, partly, maybe <laughs> maybe he's, maybe he realizes, and this is, by the way, the guy's name is Mark Lore. Uh, I don't know if I said his name earlier, but I'm saying it now. The Oh, it came through. Oh, I, I was trying to get to this website the whole time we were talking and it was just coming back with like uh, errors and I wasn't sure what's going on here, but I I'm, I might take a break trying to uh, get this into the, uh, into the pod, but uh, what I was saying is that the I was thinking maybe he's thinking well all the other billionaires have bought up all arable farmland so so the only thing that they haven't bought is the are the deserts so at least it'll be cheap enough for me to for me to buy but he probably would have loved to have had this uh, much further north in, in in some of the farm you know just buying up tons of farmland and then popping a city down I'm, I'm sure he would have enjoyed that to be honest he finally sounds like he's gonna do the promise of spaceship earth, at least the original one from Epcot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been inside the big ball golf ball looking thing at Epcot. I have. It's, yeah. It's called spaceship earth. And one of the, you sit in this little car and it takes you down a track and it's all future stuff. And one of the things it shows you is how they irrigate the desert. And it, I remember being a kid and it was out of everything I saw mm-hmm. in Florida, the Disney world and all that mm-hmm. stuff, that, that was the thing that captivated my imagination the most. It, it was like these people at a control panel looking over the desert and it was being irrigated. I thought that it was the coolest thing in the world. And uh, and it never happened. I mean, never. We never came close to it. We don't do anything like that. Right. Um, but it sounds like this guy is doing a shade of that, which is which, which you know, in a way is interesting. I, I seriously, um, 
I don't mind. I, again, I don't want to. I don't want to knock the idea. I think it's cool, and I think it's a standard that all cities and and, and areas should adopt if it works, um, or anyway. Uh, but I also don't know if it's going to be the the, mar the marketing promise that he's making. I think it's just going to be another city that's more efficient. I don't. Yeah. What, and which you know that's nothing to shake a. Yeah, no, shake a stick at that. I, I'm just saying it's that's still a massive feat. Well, no, I would hope that if, if you're you going really to build a new city, that you would build gotten, it. You know, it's yeah. like yeah, if we're going to build a tower in an earthquake-prone um, region, we're going to make it earthquake-proof. Like I yeah. hope that now with this climate crisis, anyone building at this time is going to do so accordingly. I hope that that's a standard going forward. And this guy is, for whatever reason, looking to build an entire city. Is it altruistic? Probably not. I think he thinks he can make a couple bucks. And it just makes sense to do it to mitigate climate change as a marketing selling point. Um, and you know, yeah, I think that's kind of it. I think that anyone would, if they're gonna move into a new city with climate change being the next big thing, that that is going to be a huge driver for people to move there. Let me, let me, uh, let's just, uh, let me pause for a second while I try to uh, upload the video because I think some video will give us some more uh, talking points because it, it'll be a little bit more specific. So uh, hopefully you should hear this sound. Uh, let me see if you can, oops, nope. Let me do this first. Telos means the highest purpose. It was a term coined by Aristotle. It's about individuals in society coming together to reach their fullest potential. The cities that have been built to date from scratch are more like real estate projects. They don't start with people at the center, because if you started with people at the center, you immediately would think, okay, what's the mission and what are the values? The mission of Telosa is to create a more equitable and sustainable future. That's our North Star, and that'll never change. What we're trying to do is combine sort of the best of different cities in the world and bring it together. So if you think about Telosa being as vibrant and diverse as a New York City, combined with efficiency, safety, and cleanliness of a city like Tokyo, combined with the social services, the sustainability, and the governance model of a city like Stockholm. We are going to be the most open, the most fair, and the most inclusive city in the world. If you really wanna go after a moonshot, which I would consider the city to be, you have to start with a big, bold vision. You need to raise the required capital. You need to surround yourself with the very best people in the world. And if you get those three things right, you can achieve incredible, magical things. BRK, who's the founder of BIG, expressed an incredible passion for this project. Tolosa, in my mind, sort of embodies the kind of social and environmental care of a kind of Scandinavian culture and the kind of freedom and opportunity of a more American culture. You get a great firm with someone who basically is super passionate and wants to see this project come to fruition as much as we do. We're taking a stab at what we call equitism here. What if you can pay the same taxes that you pay today? but get the best social services of any country in the world. That's equitism. Testing this new model for society, and at the same time, you're also testing building a city from a clean slate. What you do? How do you infuse technology in it? How do you build it more sustainable? How do you build a public transportation system that's more efficient? How do you build underground movement of waste and goods to keep the city more clean and more walkable? How do you test autonomous vehicles to keep it safer. If I can imagine the ideal state 30 years from now, I would want people to have a sense of pride in the city because the city lives by a set of values that resonate with them. That the city's the most open, the most fair, the most inclusive city in the world. 
and that that's what people feel when they're in the city. All right. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a good it's a good promo video. No, it's not. I mean, no, that's so in the beginning, Aristotle, the Aristotle bit and the yeah, fullest potential in, in the beginning, I was like, all right, here we go. But so <laughs> no, wait. equitable future, yeah. equitable yeah. future, he defines as a tax funded social services. Yes. Right. Yeah. And would you agree with that as being what equitable means? No, because you have to. No, no, no. Not, well, that's part of it, but you have to also guarantee people. Uh, again, a certain net. Just if you lose your job, like where does that leave you in this social strat, in this social hierarchy? I mean, it, this is all well and good as long as you're able to pay your taxes. But if you can't contribute tax wise, then at this point, you 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 might as well just go right. You you'd be kicked out. But I don't understand so much of. Um your daily life as a citizen is dictated by your local and state government as well mm -hmm. as your federal, but local and state. Yeah. And so he's talking about things that the local government does, but a lot of it's state. I mean, lot, yeah, this, exactly. A lot. So of it, I don't know how, yeah. like what New York city can I, do is based on how much money they get allocated from the state. So, yeah, a so lot I of don't know how he this. can make that claim. Well, he's trying to say that he's going to have a lot of seed money. I mean, he's treating it almost like it's a, like a, like venture capital money. He's treating it like a startup of, of some sort. So, I mean, I think he's going to keep continue to try to get investors in and, and I guess, but I don't know how that yeah, works. Yeah, but if the state says you can't have voting booths exactly. there or you yeah. can um, have abortions yeah. or something like that, it's not equitable. Well, I said that's why Texas is probably out of the question. So that's not yeah, but I mean, but... it could, but it's, these are just two obvious examples that are in the news. But there's so many things that are out of the local government's control. Well, I think I think that if you're going to do a promo for a city and you're serious about it, I, I think that you had to give a few more details in that. I mean, this I mean, the way I, I interpreted this promo was very much like, how do I define awesome? It's going to be awesome. I mean, there wasn't much there wasn't much, you know, it was very shallow. It was like this is again you're just saying all right everyone's going to be fair this is going to be awesome the renderings there were renderings yeah that's great you could anyone could pay artists to like create the most scientific like science fictiony utopian city you'd ever imagine i mean you could pull from a number of uh film tv literature in order to who's taking that. care of all those plants that's why that exactly well there's a that's part of it right i mean how, how far is the autonomy like the the robot like aspects of it gonna go uh and then you're exactly the people who take care there's of a lot plants, of greenery there are they a lot of they, landscaping exactly right and, and you're saying is that going to be naturally managed like are you only planting varietals of plants that only grow to a certain length that will always look beautiful all year round, or are there actual uh you know you've got hydroponic and you've got the engineers who I'm sure will be paid very well in terms of keeping it. But if you're talking about the guy who goes out to cut some of these things, like when they get out of, or, you know, to make them uh, so immaculate as you see them in the, uh, anyone who's listening audio wise, you should just look up some of the images. Uh, but yeah, the guy who's go, who's out there cutting it, like what is his fair wage? How much is he contributing to society? And is he as valued as the guys who work in the, in the beacon tower? You know, I want to see his apartment. Exactly. Exactly. I want to see here where his living uh, experience is. And, and, and that, that, that there's a lot at his work hours, you know, like that's the other thing. There's not a lot discussed here in terms of, I was worried already where I was like, you know, we're, we're trying to transition or at least i feel like most workers would love to transition to a flexible work schedule of work from home and being in the office and you're only talking about like a 15 minute commute to the office and like well 
you know, are you doing anything in your city to help promote that, that new like work-life balance? Or are you, you know, there's no discussions of UBIs. There's no discussion of, of, uh, of a number it's of a services. city though. You- they're not, I mean, that's not theirs. Like, how do you, where are they well, getting you, this money from? Like, well, they don't we talked have... about that. There, you know, there, there's, there's, there, there, <laughs> this dream is built on taxation and investor funding, and then maybe whatever because because people actually own parts of the city, they might be contributing extra money on top of taxes to what you know buy up more shares of uh, of, their, of various uh, what, maybe I don't know what kind of stocks a city can possibly produce or own, but there might be something like that where you could continue to buy up more uh, of of a certain type of uh, not bond or what have you, but some sort of investment aspect to the city. And therefore you're getting a, a greater return in, uh, off of the, uh, off the interest rates of what the city is borrowing. You don't know. I mean, these, they, they could throw in some of these, you know, very interesting new, uh, you know, new types of financing could be, could be introduced by having a city like this. I'm not going to knock that aspect of it just yet. I'm just saying that there's so much like we're, we're coming, you know, they're not, I'm not talking about what the fire department's doing. It's exactly. just, a, I, I, that, that, that kind of stuff bothers me. Lots of stuff. Yeah. It's like, it get, I feel like I'm being sold and yeah. there's not enough showing me how they're going to achieve any of this. Like he, the statements that they're making are so generic. It's going to be inclusive. Yeah. How? how inclusive? How exactly? Like, what does that mean? Exactly. How, who are you including and, and how are they being, how included? are you ensuring that it's the most diverse city in the world? Well, how, how well, they comparing it to taking the best from all the cities and I actually jotted that down. The, the, really? the thing they called about called out about New York city was its diversity. Yeah. Well, all right. What part of New York is diverse? Like, because what, what do you mean by that? And then how are you transferring? Cause you could say it's diverse because of its restaurants, its entertainment, its people, yeah. its economic status. What is diverse? What yeah. part of New York's diversity are you zeroing in on? Right. And how does that transfer over to your new city? Because there's a lot of diversity that you don't necessarily want to take with you mm-hmm. in certain ways. Like you mm-hmm. want to make that better. You right. want to make it more equitable. You don't yeah. want to make it so different. Exactly. Um, right. Well, we're talking about the economic diversity where you have people who basically have nothing to their name. And then you have people who who own a penthouse in New York that they it's like $12 million a month to rent. Exactly. That's what we're talking about here. Just what do you do with specific? Yeah, what do you do with people that don't have any place to go? Well, that's the, that's the, well, that's the that's the dystopian part about this whole thing. Is like you, in my they head, they go underground. They go underground with the trash. <laughs> well, that's what like, I'm where do they go? Where do they go? Well, oh, like Disney World. <laughs> There's like a massive uh, sewer system that they that the characters like can can travel underneath so that the the uh, the children don't see them outside outside of a, a exactly. out of character. But I'm just trying to say, you know, if you've got this beacon right, this tower, I assume this is where this guy's probably going to live, and and Eddie and his cronies and people <laughs> that he's with, I'm sure they're going to be they're going to be holed up in this massive beautiful tower. And I'm wondering, I mean, is it going to be like? You know, it's gonna be a little bit like Utah kind of thing, where it's like you know, you're, you you aspire to get married in the tower. You you gotta you know you you aspire to be loved and owned by the tower. I mean, in some aspects of it, does sound a little cultish uh, when you get into things like that. But but yeah, it, it's it, there's just a lot of. I don't think uh, he needs to make all these promises. I think he yeah. needs to say we're building a city. It's going to be sustainable, yeah. and you know, let's be a community. Yeah, I, saying all these things, he doesn't have control over this stuff. He's not the governor. Like, who is this guy right. who is going to dictate local um, local policy? Yeah, he's building buildings. I, I guess that's kind of what I don't why I thought cult immediately because as a builder and investor, what say does he have over the government of the municipality and the culture? 
Yeah, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions. Do you know what answers. I mean, though? Like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's early days. It's early days. I mean, he's, you know, they're, they have, they have 10 years to really start. I think like the first thing was they're they starting like 2030. But... Unless he's the governor or the mayor. <laughs> I mean, the mayor. Unless he's the mayor. He's, he, well, he's... He, uh, he might be the mayor uh, and then he might run for governor. You don't know. So. But do you know what I mean? It's just I it, hear you. No, I'm just saying promises there's, there's don't don't equate to his influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I there's don't know. There's a lot to be said. There's a lot, to, there's a lot that's missing. So, all right. You brought up a four day work week. That's actually one of the stories I have. You going to talk about four day work week again? I uh, there's there's some news. Okay, yeah. Why don't you go into that? Because that that's a good segue. You know, under four day work week. You did mention it. Yes, I did. So, um. We have talked about it before, and I think it was about Iceland and New Zealand. And yes. I think we mentioned Japan's looking into it. Uh, mm-hmm. But now Scotland is going to trial a four-day work week without the loss of pay. Oh, that's awesome. Catching on, yeah. at least. But there, it seems to be happening for different reasons. <clears throat> and so um, with, with Scotland in, uh, in particular, the reduced hours don't have to be taken weekly. And they can be targeted towards groups um, like parents or something like that. And it gets into the reasons why you can take a reduced schedule. Um, The benefits that I'm seeing a trend in across all of these countries is that they're all about a human's well-being. Um, And then they always try and say, uh, in order to maintain or boost productivity, the remaining 80% of your work week needs to be managed carefully. And that's actually the goal of Scotland. So everyone always leads with, we're doing this to maintain a human's well-being, but we also want you to produce just as much. Um, and I, I kind of, I get it, I, I do get it, but it goes back into what we've always said before. And it's just like six days could yield you more theoretically. Why doesn't society just get used to the output of four? Like, and then as time goes on and we make technological advancements and the methods improve, then we make up that difference just as in, just as you could do more in, in one day now doing a job than you could 50 years ago doing the same job because tech and everything has evolved. And you're working the same hours. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't really, like, I get why they have to do that. And maybe, you know, to be fair, this is like the first step down a slippery slope to get us towards that. And it's just mm-hmm. like, we have to, we have to open the door and walk through somehow yeah. and doing it in this way where, all right, let's do four days. And we still got to maintain that productivity at 80%. But I'm not sure that that's, that that's what will happen. So <clears throat> in Scotland, this came about because of the labor shortage with COVID and everything, it sounds like. And then their main trade, their main trade union, GMB, which I don't know what it means, um, uh, was demanding more money for their workers because there was a labor shortage. So they wanted more money. Uh, instead of doing that, uh, the companies started offering less hours at the same pay, but required the same output. Um, now, interesting, they are trying to say that, listen, it can be vacation time, but it doesn't have to be. You can help with childcare. You can help around the house. I feel like these things are always targeted at men. <laughs> they do call it out in these articles. Um, and uh, work train, and they also said you can spend your time training for work so that you can work more efficiently with that 80%, which, you know, fair enough, but also I don't know to what degree. I don't really know what that means. <clears throat> so with all of these different countries doing this, there are a ton of reports from various institutions, most of them left-leaning. Um, I haven't actually seen any right-wing institutions reporting on this, but um, 
they're all about the theory that more time off makes for a happier worker and a happier worker produces more. Um, but again, going back to what I had just said, I feel mm -hmm. at some point as a species, we need to take a step back yeah. and ask ourselves, is this how we should be behaving? Why? I mean, you brought it up before. What data points to humans have to work five days a week, 40 hours a week, whatever it may be. They need to put out this much in order for civilization right. to progress at this rate. Like, what are we done. losing? Yeah, yeah, what are we, we losing? We Even know. by cutting productivity by 20%. Yeah. Or whatever it is. Like, why does it have to be keep producing the same amount, but work, you know, a day less? I don't, I just yeah. think, because well, you can, why? yeah. You will say you can make that argument to say that, look, if, if people are like, well, if you, if, if, if one country pr uh, cuts its pr productivity by 20% and the other is still going at 100, well, they're just going to outclass you and therefore you're, you know, you're going to be trounced. But the, the thing is, if, if every, uh, modern nation cuts their productivity by 20% in order to, I don't know, save the planet, for instance, uh, then everyone's on a, a level playing field. And then the, also, the new, the new 20 and just say the new 80 becomes the new 100. And then everyone just has a four day work week and we just go from there. But that's if that's in like a controlled lab experiment, you right. have different yeah. education levels, you have different population sizes, you have different nat nat uh, natural resources. Like there are so many different things that play into um, a, a country's productivity and output. Absolutely. So yeah, if you had 50 males, 50 females, yes. all with master yeah. degrees and yeah, yeah. we doing that, like, yeah, sure. Yeah, like, right. Then you can get into that stuff, but there's, there's too much, uh, there's just too many factors. So they, and, and they made some notes here. Uh, six years ago, Iceland trialed cutting four hours per week, basically giving the afternoon off to its workers. Mm -hmm. um, and they started out piloting that with high stress public sector jobs, eventually moving it to the public sector, uh, to, to most of the jobs in the public sector, I should say, and then some private sector jobs. And now it covers, as we said before in a past episode, 86% of the workforce. So it's caught on. So that's that slippery slope. When I read that, I was like, all right, maybe this is, you know, how we start down that road. Right. <clears throat> in New Zealand, they started the program pre-COVID and found that hourly produ productivity, and again, this was something that, we, that wasn't covered in the previous article because we asked, how is this measured? Because <clears throat> they measured the second, they, they mentioned the second stat that I'll mention in a second. But here they said that 20% um, of um, hourly productivity went up 20% and significant improvements were measured in satisfaction. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the stat that was um, used before. In our, in our past episode. And they also made a note to say that um, with time off, tourism dollars would go up, which makes sense, right? People were traveling more. So I don't, yeah. <clears throat> I, I wanted to bring it up because it's another, well, because I feel strongly that, you know, humans need to recalibrate our, our construct and how we operate within it. But um, I wanted to mention it because this is yet another country. Yeah. Um, and cool. there's other, there's other, companies across the globe within countries that are doing stuff like this but this is the uh, an entire country now adopting this this philosophy in some form i mean i feel like it's unfair to um you know the listener because we're not there's nothing to really debate about it from our side because we're, we're both very much pro this so this, so this is more of just an accounting of one more example where 
uh, we're we're going to a much uh, a more equitable and and, and sort of free flowing uh, modality when it comes to working, uh, which I believe is more humane. Uh, so yeah, so that, I mean, that that's you know <laughs> I'm not gonna come out and be like, well, I mean this this is what could happen if they do this because I mean I, I the, the, detra- the detractors are it, it's like fake news, <laughs> like there's not like because there's no basis. But, it, but why don't really we have that out. here now? Is that because? Is that because is and I don't know a lot about Scotland. Maybe you do. Um, is it because we don't have the type of union that they have? That's correct. We don't have the union powers that uh, that uh, Europe has. It, it, um, you know, our unions are far weaker. Uh, so yeah, that that they that that's probably uh, has a lot to do with it. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, it, it, I just think that it's the the, the funny the, the thing is right the only way to do a true comparative analysis as to whether this is a, a inferior mode of working is to actually switch over to it for a number of years probably uh, maybe a generation or two and then to then to say all right well what was better the old way or the new way and the, the thing is that that's like one of those that's a grand experiment so I'm not sure how you really come to that but my point is that there's very there's there's no true way to say this model won't work because it's never been tried before. It's never been done before. So you have to do it first in a number of different countries and a number of different places, and then come back and assess it. Now, based on the experiments that have had that have that have occurred uh, so far, it all seems pretty uh, pretty successful, and the workers all seem much happier. So I mean, I think there would ever be two a, things. Do you think yeah. there would ever be an exodus of talent if enough? countries that an American felt comfortable transferring to, transplanting to, that would force this country to adopt it at some level, whether it was public or certain private sector jobs? Or do you, and do you think if you worked for a company that was headquartered in one of these countries, that they would extend those benefits to their American workers? If you work for a country that uh, the, the, to answer the latter part of that question, the answer is no. <laughs> no, no company. Because think about all the European companies that have jobs in America. They do not afford the same benefits and uh, and protections that their workers get in their home. Not the same, but there is, I will be honest, there is a level, having worked for both, mm-hmm. there is a cultural spillover, a general attitude towards work that is different if you're mm-hmm. headquartered in one of those European countries. Yeah, I, I, I will give you that. There, there might be a little bit, but, but, but it's very much in the, it's very much in the fitting of their culture. So like, yeah, so would you like, for instance, uh, if you work for like a German company uh, or Europeans, they tend to take off a majority of August. That's culturally in Europe. That's their vacation time. So if you're an American working for a mostly European con- uh, company, you know, things are going to be very lax in August. So you could take off more in August. And if you don't have the vacation time, it's still more of like a, you know, it's more malleable as to how much people, you know, no one's going to be hounding you for anything. So things are a lot more relaxed as a result of that. So that, that cultural spillover does come, but it doesn't mean- I would even say even the fact that you can take two weeks off back to back. Well, there are some people, there are some companies and there's some people I'm meeting now in life where they've never taken a two week vacation. Never. Yeah, that's Never. absolutely right. In America, absolutely. That's very common. But, but the, you know, I have, and it has been when we've worked for the European company and, and that was very much acceptable. Yes. Oh okay. yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. You're right. People will not balk at that because it's so commonplace in the, in the, um in the home country that, yeah, that, right. There you go. Especially right. So, so that's what I mean. There is some, that. I see what you're saying. Over. There is definitely yeah. something to that. Absolutely. I agree. 
Yeah. By the way, if you want to know, uh, if you're listening, what GMB stands for, it actually stands for General Municipal Boilermakers and Allied Trade Union. Uh, the full name is GMBATU, but it was shortened to GMB around the uh, late 80s. So. A little historical tidbit. Oh, I'm glad you looked that out. Yeah. All I right. Have a silly topic, unless you got another one. No, no, no. Let's finish off with a silly, silly topic. This has been a. This is. I hope. It, I hope it continues because I think we we're, we're just hitting this. We've we've got a nice little trajectory here. It's all all in sync. Does this does this one have how anything to do with housing or, or city building or workers uh, workers uniting or what? What is it? What does this have to do with? I want to cover a jailbreak. <sighs> you really had to depart. <clears throat> Go for it. A family of wild boars organized a cage breakout of two piglets and in doing so demonstrated high levels of intelligence and empathy. Mm, cool. Have you heard this? I haven't heard this, but I know that there's a big um, wild pig. Um, there's a lot of issues with wild, wild boars uh, in like Texas. And I think a couple of the other uh, lower Southern States, um, they have like, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, a, there's like, they're just like breeding like crazy. And there's like a, um, there's a lot of tension. Uh, between like farmers and uh, and all these wild pigs but anyway is this does this have anything to do with that or no no it does not where did, so, where did, where did this take place czech republic <sighs> so <Okay>. scientists at a university <laughs> scientists Gosh. at a university Go set on. up a set up a boar trap okay um to study preventative measures for african swine fever okay their camera captured two images of piglets being trapped mm-hmm then, later on, a group of around eight wild boars eventually arrived at the site, led by a fully grown female suspected to be the piglet's mother. Oh, right? wow. Nobody knows. Okay. Um, Sounds like the makings of a Disney movie. Right? Well, this is when the interesting stuff started happening. They strategically started charging the wooden logs that were blocking the doors of the trap. Um, and it was also noted the mother's uh, mane, uh, like wrecked it up, it stood up. Uh, and, and that's a sign with wild boars that there's distress, that the pig is in distress, the boar is yeah. in distress. Within six minutes of this um, starting, they got the first log free. And within 29 minutes, the piglets were out of the trap. Wow. This is the first documented case of wild boars demonstrating a complex form of empathy. Mm. And rescuers have only uh, rescue behavior, which is a phrase I've never heard of, if I'm going to be honest, and and when you're talking about animals, and I've never um, thought about it, really, to be honest with you. Um, Rescue behavior has only been observed in a small number of animals, including rats and ants. Uh, And when I think about the rescue behavior, I I never thought about a proactive event. I thought about uh, a predator attacks a herd, trying to pick off the young or the sickly, and the herd comes to the defense, mm-hmm. um, and then or 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 something like that, or a mother, you know, bats a predator on the head type thing, right. but um, never anything of this nature. I've never heard of you know someone being an animal being trapped and then other animals coming and releasing it from that trap. So there are four characteristics that are used to define rescue behavior. You want to venture a guess of what they are? No, just tell me. <laughs> <laughs> the victim needs to be in distress. Mm-hmm. The rescuer puts themselves at risk. Mm-hmm. The actions of the rescuer are adequate to the victim's situation. So what they're doing is actually going to help. 
and there's no immediate benefit or reward for the rescuer. Okay. That's cool. So yeah. I thought it was interesting. That's really cool. I mean, it's, it, it definitely stands to in the logic of that pigs are incredibly intelligent animals. And, the and scientists went on to say they weren't surprised because right. of that. Yeah. They've exhibited various forms of behavior that has led to, that led us to believe that they're uh, probably one of the more intelligent species of animal on the planet. Uh, so it, it definitely uh, calls into question uh, the way we, we treat them as a, as a food source. Uh, Cause I mean, it's, it's, I think there, I mean, there are, uh, I'm, I'm sort of drawing from, you know, various things I've read, but I think they're technically smarter than dogs um, in, in, in some, in, I think a few respects. So uh, the fact that we, we treat them this way is, is a, is a bit um, not, I don't want to, can we use the word inhumane when it comes to animals? Um, well, this goes into a past episode that we had where what does it take to afford human rights to animals? Yes. Um, and we had said, does it, it needs to say hello. Like it right. needs to speak. Right, right. It needs to say like, wow, it's warm in here or hello, or I'm uncomfortable, but it needs to be able to verbally communicate because we mm. do not extend human rights to animals. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, 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 the pigs, I mean, they, there's definitely a call to question because the other thing is, well, when, I mean, we could learn their language. They, they, you know, we don't have to, which people are trying to do, actually. They try to do that with, with the uh, various like uh, whales and dolphins. Um, they try to. But I don't think, but they will. I, and, and you're right. I mean, you're right. But I guess the question is, will, is that the same? And would that then put them on your level? Would you now, if you knew that when a I cat slow, well, no, because we, so, so we kind of know now if the cat does like a slow blink, it's some type of show of affection mm -hmm. or a dog wagging its tail. Yeah. Or another, or I don't know, or a pig squealing out of, out of terror or fear or pain. Well, like we, I mean, we, 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 this, again, yeah, go on. Well, no, but I mean, like we, you, you can certainly pick up on animal cues now and we Just don't. Just like you can so pick up on human cues. cues. Yeah. But how many more? Yeah. But we don't, you know. Well, right. Well, I'm saying the, what in the train of thought that we were going down, uh, you know, we were talking about the verbal, like being able to verbally communicate. And I, and I think that if you were to uh, definitively say that I now speak X, uh, animal that x type of uh, their language in, in some capacity and you, you could fully understand that when they make noises the various the difference in the intonation of the way that they are uh, vocalizing whatever it is and you you could really pick that apart and say that this is what they're saying to me right now i think that it would transform your your consciousness in terms of the way that you would you would see that animal i mean it, it is a bit of a if a tree falls in the woods does it make a sound kind of thing because it's like you know i it's, will they're not intelligent unless you can now start understanding exactly what they're trying to say to you. And then you might, I'm just saying you might start to think, Oh, okay, well, I, I might not be able to consume this animal any longer. I will give you, I will give you some ground there on the individual level. Yeah. That's what in the same yeah. way that if you had a bias towards another human being mm -hmm. or another group of humans, yeah, and then you actually meet someone and talk right. to them and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. But the pressures of the group, the pressures mm. of the mob will force you to do things that you generally wouldn't do as an individual. Right. I question how much is a shift of ratatouille, my rat, you know, mm. I know what he needs. I know what he's saying. I know what he wants. Right. Um, I don't, I don't, I won't do any kind of, you know, lab rat products, lab rat experimentation products. Yeah, right, like, right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not sure it transfers 
like that. Mm. I don't know. Interesting. But, but I, I liked the story because it, well, you know, we talk about animals often, I think, or at least we used to. <laughs> but, yeah. um, we done a wolf it's, been a oh. it's been a couple episodes, but yeah. uh, I, I do like the stories that, um, that clarify their role in our ecosystem and the fact that you know we are all animals and yeah. and kind of in a sense humanize them and i use that word to in a way where it does afford the same rights that we have to a degree right so yeah. I, I i i like the story because it shows that they have um intellectual capacity they have emotion and what we do drives them to a point of rescue behavior where the attributes of that are the victims in distress, the rescuer puts themselves at risk. How many animals put themselves at risk to save another? Um, and yeah. when there's no immediate reward or rescue uh, reward or um, benefit to that. So I, I just, yeah, I, I found that to be really interesting and telling of maybe not how little we know about the animal kingdom, but, but how little we're willing to um accept or remind ourselves of like it's it's things that like we're all too more too willing to forget about yeah when it's I, convenient I, for us i completely see that you know what i usually think about whenever i hear a story about an animal being super intelligent especially one that happens to be quite tasty do i want to know i don't know do, do you sure go ahead i think about how tasty people might be people i, I just it just naturally i'm just like i like, heard this is salty. probably why we, i heard is, i heard they're salty <laughs> Well, I just say, I'm like, that's, that's probably why the, the biblical rules of, of thou shalt not kill were, were instituted because they were like, you know, original people might have realized that people are probably really freaking tasty. Yeah, sure. Uh, the, you, you go through plagues and droughts where food is scarce, and tribes are sparsely spread out. And yeah, um, I, it's dark. <laughs> I just, I just like you just People think of like, cannibals I'm now. like bacon. I mean, that is, happens. I'm like, I'm like, it, it, it's um, you know, it's like you know, bacon is just so such a, such a delicious, you know, and you know, and it's, it would be a shame, you know, they're so intelligent. And you're like, oh my god, uh, you know, you you start to think like the more intelligent animals, that mean they taste the better they taste. <laughs> At your barometer. So I'm trying to think. That's what I'm. That's where. That's where I was coming from. So. Uh, I don't know. His, I might have to cut this. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't know. On, on the menu at the restaurant, goes. can you please put the IQ of the fish or just, the cow? I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. It just seems to be. It seems to correlate. Smarter the animal. Forget the marbling of the beef. How smart was it? <laughs> well, you know. You, you, you're stimulating the brain, you know, with, with, you know, the, the grass fed beef is, is, is tastier than what, you know, what's sitting around for an, an, a cow that's just caught in some sort of a, uh, you know, man-made distillery of some sort where it doesn't move. It doesn't get any activity, you know, a, a cow that gets to walk around and gets to run, you know, gets to like, you know, but for me, I, I think the veal eaters would, would disagree with you. Feel is disgusting. Oh, you know what? It might be a, it might be a taste thing. Yeah, it might be a maybe I prefer smarter animals. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's it my taste. taste. <laughs> I have an intellectual taste. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps you're right. You are perhaps a you are a dangerous me. man. <laughs> well, be prepared of dinner at Antoine's house. <laughs> What's for dinner, Antoine? <laughs> yeah. Well, as he locks the door behind you. That Hannibal Lecter, he was a smart man, wasn't he? 
So anyway. All right, Jamie, where can they find us? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably gonna leave it in. <laughs> it's all on me. Terrible. <laughs> Just so people know. So Jamie, where can they find us? <laughs> At Retraction Media. Hit up Antoine. Let him know what you think about this episode. I don't want any part of it. Uh, don't worry. I'm going to make sure to leave cannibalism out of the title. And uh, <laughs> with that, Retraction out. Out.